Well, guys, I hope you got a Bible. If you do, make your way tonight to Proverbs chapter 31. Hey, we're just there. I mean, it's the last chapter of the book of Proverbs. We have been making our way on Wednesday nights to the book of Proverbs for a little while. And uh, so tonight we begin uh, the last chapter. We're not going to finish it tonight. We'll probably finish it next week uh, in the midst of that. But excited just to continue and just to see what God has for us here. Hoping you brought a Bible and you're going to join us in that. Uh, If you don't have a Bible here in the sanctuary, you have Bibles in front of you in the chairs. You have a page number on the screen. You can use an electronic device. If you're joining us in the overflow or at home, hear the same invitation, and it is an invitation. We want this to be a Bible study, a time that we're looking into the Word of God and recognizing what's there. And for that to really just work effectively, we're inviting you to study your Bible. So we're inviting you to have a Bible with you, open it up so that God would meet you in that, and that there would be just a place of His Word working into our lives. Longing that for each of us, and so with just a fresh need of God speaking to us, I'm going to lead in prayer. You guys know how this works, but I'm inviting you to do the same. Ask Him to speak to you. Ask him to give you an ability to hear what he would say to you this evening. And so let's just trust him for that and together go before him and present ourselves. Father, right now we recognize you as the faithful God. We recognize even what your promise is to us, that Spirit, you would be that teacher that teaches us your truth, that brings us into understanding. I love that you do that, and I recognize how much we need it. Without your opening, without your just causing it to come to life, it would never penetrate, it would never come alive into our hearts and lives. Weakness is altogether ours, our own hardness, sinfulness, and stubbornness all make it so incredibly impossible. But you, you are the one that opens, you are the one that, that by the work of, of, of your Spirit just draws us, and so believing that tonight, would you help us to hear Would you make it personal? Would you help it to connect? Help us not to miss it, Lord. Help us not in our own just weakness to miss this. Would you strengthen us physically and emotionally and spiritually? Would you give us ears to hear, hearts to receive? Would you open up our minds that we might comprehend what you have for us? We ask for help in that right now as we thank you, uh, right now as a God who is here and is at work. We trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It was Abraham Lincoln that said, no man is poor who has a godly mother. And just in one sense, recognizing the incredible power that so often flows within a family, so often flows, uh, you know, God moving in the midst of that. And I was thinking about that heading into our study this evening, and uh, I I ran across um, a quote in Charles Spurgeon's autobiography where he talked about God working in his life and drawing him. And he, he just talked about his mom this way. I thought it would be a good beginning for us this evening. It says, fathers and mothers are the most natural agents for God to use in the salvation of their children. I'm sure that in my early youth, no teaching ever made such an impression upon my mind as the instruction of my mother. He said, nothing landed like what my mom, my mom taught me. He says, nor could it be possible for any man to estimate what he owes a godly mother. Certainly, I have not the powers of speech with which to set forth the, my valuation of the choice blessing, which the, besto- the Lord bestowed on me in making me the son of one who prayed for me and prayed with me. This is a good piece of advice right there. One who prayed for me, prayed with me. He went on to say, How can I ever forget her tearful eye when she warned me to escape the wrath to come? I thought her lips right eloquent 
Others might not think so, but they were eloquent, certainly eloquent to me. How can I ever forget when she bowed her knee and with her arms around my neck prayed, oh, that my son might live before thee, and, and just the incredible impact that she made. One more just quote from it, and then I'll leave it, though there's more we could read. He says, nor can her frown be effaced from my memory, that solemn, loving frown when she rebuked my budding iniquities, and her smiles have never faded from my recollection. The beaming of her countenance when she rejoiced to see some good thing towards uh, the Lord God of Israel. And, and, and Spurgeon went on to talk about just the incredible impact that his mom had on him, just both in bringing the gospel into his life, but certainly bringing him into a space of just moving towards the things of God. Well, that's a good space for us to begin this evening because in Proverbs 31, that's much that's laid before us, the impact of a godly mom uh, who speaks into the life of her son. You might just notice it even as it begins in verse 1 there of chapter 31. It says, the words of King Lemuel, the utterance which his mother taught him. Pause there again and here he's like, okay, I'm going to tell you what my mom taught me. I'm, I'm going to tell you that which she spoke into my life and, and, and laid in that space and draws us into the place that, that would be considering that kind of impact and encouraging it in all of us to, to be those who have that kind of impact. So as we begin this, uh, we want to look at the, these verses that begin chapter 31, and I want to hold out to you in this first uh, section that we have what might be titled a royal charge. We read it just a second ago, but reading it again, the words, verse 1, of King Lemuel, the utterance which his mother taught him. Okay. Who's Lemuel? Like, who in the world is this guy, you know, Lemuel? You know, what, what is this? I mean, you, you kind of read this, and it is the advice of this, and let's just be really, really clear. We have no idea. We have absolutely no ap solid space. Anybody who absolutely tells you that they know, um, they're standing on something that isn't solid because uh, we don't find that title anywhere else uh, in, in the Bible. Uh, we don't know of any person named that. We don't know of, of anyone in that space. And so everything beyond this is just speculation. We'll speculate a little bit, but it's worth again just saying we have no idea. And we don't actually have to know. We don't actually have to know because you know, the power of this is this is the Word of God, and regardless of, of who it was originally written to, it is written now to us uh, by the work of the Spirit. That said, there are some possibilities. Uh, probably one of the most common is that this is very likely Solomon. Uh, maybe this is a nickname. Uh, that Bathsheba gave him. Maybe this is her impact. That's some of the earliest Jewish writings we have, uh, you know, kind of, you know, gaze into that and say they, they believe that's what that is. It's a possibility uh, that it is, but again, we have no validation beyond that. Uh, other scholars would look and say, well, maybe it's entirely a different king. Uh, it's somebody we don't know. Uh, it's somebody that's not mentioned in Scripture, maybe not even, uh, you know, an Israelite uh, king. That's possible. Again, I don't want to put anything beyond God. It's possible that God's impact kind of happened into that and such a letter, uh, you know, kind of worked its way in here, but it seems less likely to my small mind. But again, just saying it that way, we have no idea because like there's nobody named Lemuel anywhere else in scripture. But there is one other possibility, and that is that it's not so much of a, of a given name, but a description. And the interesting thing about the word Lemuel is it literally, if you were to translate it, means for God. 
So lemu, that, that first part of it, is really a preposition. It is really the word that would be used for for or kind of moving towards something. And then al is the word God. So anywhere you see that, Daniel or Samuel or any of those, those are ones where they've incorporated the name of God into that person's name. We're like Daniel is God is judge, you know. And so it is this kind of recognition of that. And so lemuel literally means for God. That it is, you know, just for or unto or pursuing or, you know, moving towards would be the idea of God. And that's kind of an interesting description. I mean, when I look through the possibilities, it's like, well, that one lands maybe in my own simple heart the best because I think this is the scriptures. This is what God wrote. He wrote it knowing you would be reading it here today in, you know, here in Roswell, New Mexico. And I believe it's written for us. I believe it's for that. And so for me, uh, it at least makes the most sense that we'd say, okay, this is written to someone who the description of your life is one who is moving towards God, that you are seeking to live, if we can say it that way, for God, for his honor, for his uh, kingdom, for his person. That's a good description. Then we notice what it says. It says, you know, the words, verse 1 there again, of King Lemuel. So, King very again likely written to that. It could be against Solomon. That's a definite possibility. Maybe it was written kind of within that uh, framework, but since we're thinking about this in just a very applicational setting uh, at this moment, can I just pause and say, I still believe the Lord's talking to us. I still believe he's talking to us, and I would say it this way, that Christian, you are that there's a sense that we've been brought into that standing. I like the way it's given to us in the book of Revelation, where it simply says to him, speaking of Christ, who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and he has made us kings and priests uh, to his God and Father. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever says, he has washed us. He took us who were unworthy wretches. He took us who didn't deserve it, and he has washed us in his own blood. And if that weren't enough, he has brought us so that we now get to be uh, what's called the priesthood of all believers. We get now to have access into the God himself, that you don't have to come through somebody else. You're not, you know, entrusting yourself. We get to have this access before God, and that's true for every Christian. It is also true that God has brought us into a sense of royalty, that we're brought into his family, that it tells us that we are seated with him in the heavenly places, that there's a sense of kind of royal blood, if you want to think about it that way, flowing into us, not because of, uh, of us, but because of him and our being able to participate both now and into eternity in his kingdom, uh, being a part of that. And so there's an interesting thing of just thinking, hey, there's a space of, of speaking to us that that when we think about what this would be, that I would say it is that. And so if you were just to translate that that way, you would just take that first verse and you're saying, hey, you're a king for God. You're one who is, you know, kind of moving into this position. And it says, you know, these are going to be the words of a king that's a king for God, that, that would be in the midst of that. And again, just saying it to you here this evening, I think that's who you are. I think there's a space that you would have to read this and say, okay, one way or another, this is speaking to us. It is a description of what we are. It is a description that would give us this royal charge, and it is a charge. So the New King James says, you know, the words of King Lemuel, the utterance. 
pay attention to that word utterance for a moment because it is the idea of a burden. If you're familiar with that use throughout the Bible, you would recognize uh, sometimes prophets would talk about it that way. You know, they had an oracle or a burden, uh, you know, they would get to give. It had the idea of a prophetic uh, charge that they were giving in the midst of it. And it had this picture of it being weighty. And somehow that still even works into our vocabulary today, right? You know, if someone said, hey, I have something weighty to talk to you about. I have something heavy. I have something, you know, that's solemn, that's, that, that has merit or, or weight to it. But this very specifically comes as, a, as, you know, this is something weighty that God would speak into your life. This is something that, you know, he would say. And so he says, here's, here's what I got. Here's, you know, the words of King Lemuel or, or the king who's a king for God, the utterance of him which his mother taught him. So it's a royal charge. It's a royal charge to whoever it was written to here in the letter, but it is a royal charge to you. It's a good space for us, to, again, just to, to pause and say that's true, because if this is going to land this evening in a way that I think the Holy Spirit would want it to land, you're going to have to own that. You're going to have to realize that he's going to be speaking to us about the, the, the place that is now ours because of what he's done in us, because of what it is to be a follower of Jesus, because of what that is, and then to bring in that royal charge, to bring in that space that would speak to us about what that is. Well, with that, we come back to the idea of it also being not only a royal or a holy or a, a godly charge, but it is a charge that is so tender. And it is the words of, again, his mom. So reading it in verse 1. The words of King Lemuel, the utterance which his mother taught him. What, my son? What, the son of my womb? What, the, what the son of my vows? Uh, you know, what did, what did we say to there? She gives this repeated uh, just word, what? And, and it's not the idea of, of, of a question so much, but almost just the, the weight of it leaning into it. Maybe a loose translation would be the idea of, you know, what am I, what, what should I tell you? What's going to be my message to you? It, it, you know, it, I want to give you something. I want to give you something that would stay with you and would last with you, that would be a charge from God, that would be what I would tell you he would have. And she's saying, what is that? What, what am I going to tell you? What, what are the words that I want to, to communicate to you? She's asking. And it's worth just noting how she kind of words it. You know, she says, you know, my, you're my child. You know, you're, you're, the, you're the one who is that. You're, you're, you're the one who is my flesh and blood. You're, you're the, my child that I've, you know, brought into this. And, and because of that, that you're going to, you know, I have a weighty charge. She adds to it, you know, that you're the son of my womb. And there's a tenderness to this in the Hebrew that would really kind of connect, not to just like a physical, hey, you're I birthed you, you know, so I have something to tell you kind of thing. No, it's more like, man, I, I brought you. I loved you. I've, I mean, you are, I'm connected, and I, and I have something to you. You're, you are the one that is, you know, so connected to me, and I want to communicate to, something to you. I want to give you, you know, this message. And she just says, you know, you're the one. And she says, you know, you're the son of my vows. The idea of a vow would be a commitment and even a prayer in the midst of it. So we might even say it this way, that I've prayed for you, and we have no idea what that looks like. You know, I find myself thinking of like Hannah, who, uh, you know, gets to go there, and, and she, you know, she makes a vow as Samuel is going to be born. It's like, hey, Lord, if you would just but answer this. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to you know, bring him to you and give him to you all the days of my life. It's that kind of thing that somehow 
uh, the mom is saying, man, I, I've, I've, I've trusted you to God. I've prayed for you. I've committed you to God. I've, I've made a, uh, just a, a longing for this. You are that one who would be that. And all those things kind of pile up into a place that just kind of communicates in ways that I wish I could do it better. They just are so filled with emotion. It's so filled with like, I, I want to tell you something. I mean, passionately, preciously, lovingly, kindly. And, and that's true here, as this mother writes uh, to her son, but it's again worth us just pausing and certainly recognizing there's a weight that that flows into our life as well. I was thinking about this and how Paul would describe it, uh, even in his own ministry uh, there in Thessalonians, where he says, you know, but we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children, so affectionately longing for you. We were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become so dear to us. So Paul stands there as this one who is seeking to, you know, bring the gospel into their lives and bring the gospel into this church. He says, you know, we were so glad to be able to do that. But the, the only way we can liken what this must feel like is, is there some, it's like a mom that would, you know, lovingly care for her kids and bring them and nurse them and charge them and, and give their lives. There's this affection uh, that is just so deep in the midst of that. And there's a powerful reality of that that, so often, that that really is the way it is in Christ. Now, I don't know how it is for you. I, I don't know, you know, in your space, if you would pause right now and be able to recognize, I know who that was in my life. I know who that is in my life. Uh, the one who, you know, in Christ has affectionately longed for me, much like Charles Spurgeon wrote it in the beginning, was like, man, my, my mom, you know, she put her arms around me and committed me to the Lord. My mom, you know, was that one. And maybe it was your mom. Maybe it is your mom. Or maybe it's, you know, a friend or, or somebody else. Or, you know, beyond that, so much more just the faithfulness of God working that. And I guarantee you tonight that if you're a follower of Christ, you have this. You have this in the Lord. You have this in, in, in His heart for you. As Paul is able to communicate it, you know, it is the heart of God and the heart of God's people that would look upon you this evening and say, man, I, have, I, have, I love you. I want the best for your life. You know, I'm, I'm just I'm praying for you and longing for all that would be there. It's certainly the heart of God, and it's certainly a, a place that would be true of us. Again, I hope that that feels. I hope that I could just even quickly for a moment tell you that that's true of you because it is. And if you can hear that, then again, it just sets the tone of voice because we're about to read the charge, three things that uh, this mother is going to charge uh, her son, three things that are now being charged to us. But if you don't take into that what we just heard, you're not going to hear it rightly. If you don't take into this this kind of royal, like, hey, this is, this is a word of, this is my, my burden for you, this is what I long for you, but I, I long for you with a tenderness, with a love, with a kindness, with a, the nurture of a mom's kind of love. If you don't hear it in that tone of voice, it will be kind of cold, and it certainly isn't that. It certainly isn't that, so may God give us even the ability to hear it the way that he's putting it here in the text, which is this royal, this tender charge that would roll, you know, not just to Lemuel, but to us, to us to live our lives uh, for the Lord, that we would be those who would be living for him in this day. So what is it? I mean, wonder what, what is this thing that she's going to charge? What is this calling that is on her heart to share with her son? Well, three things. The first one, 
is there in verse 4. It is not for kings, O Lemuel. I'm sorry, actually, verse 3, excuse me. Sorry about that. Back up. Um, Do not give your strength to women, nor your ways to that which destroys kings. Do not give your strength to women, she says, nor your ways to that which destroys kings. And she warns her son about the dangers of immorality, the dangers that would be in that. Now, as we think about that, I want to back up just for a moment. And one of the interesting things that flows, especially in these first two charges, is it's a personal charge. Um, Don't give your strength to this. Don't you, you, that he's inviting you not to do this, that it's not for you. She'll be able to say it again in in verse 4, you know, this is not for kings. This is not what you should do. And there's something just in this charge that is a powerful personal challenge. And I'm trying to think about how to to word it better. There's a poem that I thought about reading, but it really is uh, different uh, in in theme than everything we're covering tonight, but it was written to pastors, and I think the title of the poem is simply, Others May, You Cannot. Uh, You know, it just basically says, hey, you know, others may get away with it. God may allow others to do it, but it's not for you. This is not what I have for your life. This is something that, you know, isn't about, you know, a legal requirement for every single person, though that may or may not be true. This is something where it says, this is for you. This is what I have for you. This is what I want for you. This has nothing to do in that sense with what anybody else has. This is for you. And it would draw us to a place that if we could hear it this evening, that it would come across that way. Because we don't want to talk about this in the way of just black and white, right and wrong, although there is some of that in the midst of it where we'd say, okay, this is sin for everybody, true. But we want to talk about it as it's like, hey, for you. This is what I want for you. My, what, I, what I have for your life and, 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 and what I want for you, and this is what you should do regardless of what anybody else does. I think about how simple that is in one sense, and I know this for many of you parents, you understand what I'm saying if you think about it, because you've had this kind of conversation very likely with your kids, where they come to you and they would say something to the effect of, mom, dad, everybody else gets to do that, and I don't get to do that. Everybody else in the whole world, you know, has privileges that I don't have. And maybe you've had that conversation that says, you know what? They might, but you don't. You know, this is not for you. I I have something different for your life, and and I'm not their parent. I don't get to tell everybody else. I don't get to speak into everybody. I get to speak into your life. And, and, And yet the invitation is that you would embrace that. And then I find myself wondering, has any kid embraced that? I don't know. I don't know how many kids be like, that's just a good thing. I'm really glad that my mom wants me to be different than everybody else. You know, it's just, it probably doesn't land. But you can. If you could hear it, you would be like, I I want to have that kind of heart that says, you know what, this isn't about what does everybody else get to do? What is everybody else doing with their life? What am I going to do with my life? You know, and and, and I'm going to live as a a child of the king. I want to live as a king's kid, and and because I'm I'm a child of my king, because, you know, Christ is my king, and I'm a king's kid, 
then there are going to be ways that I might choose to live that is different than others, but it's not legalistic. It's not this place of like, hey, everybody, but it's like, I, 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 this is what I'm doing. And, and so there's a weight that flows into these words that's incredibly beautiful that kind of draws me, that I'm hoping to draw you into it, that you would hear it that way. Well, with that, hear it again. It's, you know, don't you, you don't give your strength, she says, to, to, to women. Don't do that. And it's worth just quickly noting, um, it's not singular. It's not like don't give your strength to, you know, to, to a woman. It's don't give your strength to women. It's not talking about marriage. It's not talking about the blessing that would flow in marriage. It's talking about that which is outside of marriage. It's talking about immorality. It's talking about, you know, plural. It's talking about, you know, you know just kind of going beyond what God would have for that in the midst of it. And he says, I don't want you to do that. Don't give your strength to this. Don't give what you are into that. Take what, what is yours and say, I'm not going to spend my life. I'm not going to take the days and, and, and power and strength that's mine. And he says, don't do that. Don't invest into that. And then she just simply tells him why. Do not give your strength to women, nor to the ways to that which destroys kings. It destroys them. It can take somebody who's, you know, royal, has power in the midst of it, and it can undo their lives. And the sad reality is you probably already know this is true. It happened for Solomon. If this is written to Solomon, and we honestly don't know if it was, but if Lemuel was a nickname that Bathsheba gave Solomon, um, Solomon remembers this and then doesn't pay attention to it. Because his life is exactly destroyed by the very thing that, that, that this warning is about. Gives it to us this way in 1 Kings. Many of you guys know it. It says, But King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, the women of the Moabites, the Amorites, the Edomites, the Sidonians, and Hittites, from whom the nation said that the Lord had said to the children of Israel, You shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. So Solomon, the most wise man in history. God told us that he made him the most wise man, blessed with incredible wisdom, and yet he doesn't live by that. Instead, God, what God says, hey, don't intermarry with these foreign women. Don't let them do that. You know, don't, don't walk in that. Solomon does. Says God warns him, surely they're going to turn your heart after their gods. Yet Solomon clung to these in love. He, he chooses to love those. He chooses to, to, to make those the ones that would, would, would be the ones he puts his heart in. And it says he had 700 wives, princesses, 300 concubines, and his wives turned his heart away, which is just crazy, by the way. I mean, I'm sure you've read it. It's like, that's like a thousand women. I mean, it's like, we're not talking two, but yeah. I mean, it's crazy, but he is one of the most influential men in those times, and he goes head over heels wrong with it. But the scary part is they do exactly what God said they would do says, you do this, it's going to turn your heart away. It's going to turn your heart away. For, it says, so it was when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal uh, to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father, David. Incredible destruction. Um, sad. 
I, I, I want to just, again, just pause and just kind of pull you around it for a second to say, I mean, here's this incredible thing. Here's a man uh, who, who God loved. God told us he loved him. He even gave him a name, Jedediah, which is you know, kind of loved by God. God met him twice in person. I mean, incredibly influential. Blesses him as one of the wisest men or the wisest men in history. And then in the midst of it, Solomon goes wrong. And I found myself sometimes wondering, like, what is he thinking? Like, I mean, you know, if this was his charge even from his mom, and maybe it was, what were you thinking getting a thousand wives? I mean, how did you think that was going to go well for you? Well, here's the deal. It did go okay for a while. They didn't turn his heart away immediately. Um, I'm sure at some space in his life, he thought, well, I can handle it. You know, obviously I'm smarter than other people and, you know, lesser people have to follow those kinds of uh, stipulations, but I don't. Look at me, I'm, I'm building the temple, I'm, 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 you know, greatly blessed by God, and he was. It didn't happen immediately, but it did happen. For it tells us when he was old, when, you know, that those things, it did work into his heart exactly the way God said it would, and, and that warning was, was so desperately needed to be heard. I think about it earlier in the book of Proverbs, we saw it, where in Proverbs chapter 6, it says, For by means of a harlot, a man is reduced to a crust of bread, and adulterers will prey upon his precious life. Can he take fire into his bosom and his clothes not be burned? I mean, immorality is like that. It's like a burning flame. It's like you, that you, you bring that into your life, it's going to bring in destruction. So, Lemuel's mom brings that to him. It says, here's what I want for you. Here's what I'm telling you. Don't do it. Don't give your life to this. Don't, don't invest into that because it, it destroys people. It destroyed Solomon. It mars King David. David, a man after God's own heart, he, he goes poorly into this as well so that most of us know the sad charge of his life and we would simply say it's true. And the sad part is that we know so many more. I know that for some of you, we could sit down and I could ask you, so who do you know? Who do you know who destroyed uh, their legacy, their influence, their, their, their position through immorality? And, and some of you would be able to list off, you know, in, 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 just out of your head, you know, pastors and missionaries and, and people that you know who saw their family and their ministry and their, their kind of impact for Christ just dissolved through their unfaithfulness. And you would say, so true. It is so true. It, this, is, this is one of those things that destroys kings. It destroys that place that God would have for us. It so moves that, and it would draw us into a space of saying, but it's not what we want to do. It's not what we should want to do. And I, and, I, and I know that I'm speaking to you this evening, and you might even sound like, well, Jim, this is Wednesday night Bible study. You know, everybody here is doing fine. No, I know that this world is broken. And I know these things pull and I know it's pouring into our world like a sewer. And I'm just telling you, you know what? There's, there's a high call for our lives. There's a call for us to say, hey, you know what? That's not where I want to invest my time. That's not where I'm going to invest my life. That's not where I'm going to pour my strength. Because not only would that be poor stewardship of the things that God will give me, it would undo the very you know, places that God would want to use my life for that these things are, are the kind of things that I would have to say, hey, that would go against uh, the, the, the kind of royal position that I have and into a world that is so soaked in immorality. I'm just calling you. 
And again, it's a beautiful place where if you're going to hear this charge again, we're not trying to create some legalistic standard for everybody. We're not trying to create something that everybody has to do this. We just want to ask you, what, what, you know, don't you do this? It's not about what anybody else is doing. And, you know, again, not that that's you know, acceptable in them. You're not responsible for them. You know, this is for you. And, and there's a space where you would say, hey, you know what? Yeah, I don't. Like, those are not things I do. Those are not places I go. Those are not things I watch. Those are not things that I make a part of my life. And there's a challenge for you to hear this from God, to be rescued. And so, again, you hear this motherly, holy charge that just says, hey, don't do this. Make that be a space that your life is not so invested. So, we get this royal charge, this tender charge, this warning of immorality, and then we get a warning that is inviting us to, to see and be rescued from the second thing that's on this mother's heart. Notice verse 4. It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes intoxicating drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the justice of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to him who is perishing. And wine to those who are of bitter heart. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his misery no more. This second warning is a, is a warning of drunkenness and, and, and the dangers that would find itself in that space. And this place again that would just run into that. And it's once again just this powerful moment where if I can make it comes across the way I know it's supposed to come across. She says, this is not for kings. This, this, is, this is not for, 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 for those. And there's, again, a space of us just recognizing there's an appeal here to the blessing that is ours that would cause us to recognize, hey, there's a higher call in this. There's a higher call in this. Let's just process it as simply as we can this way. Alcohol is not, not illegal in the United States. It's not illegal to drink. Um, drinking alcohol is not Clearly, it's not, not you know, shown to be just, hey, to have a drink in the Bible is sinful. No, we actually find it's not that way at all. Drunkenness is always sinful. Drunkenness is always sinful. And it's into that standard where it just simply says to, to this case, like, there's a higher standard for you. Like, you, you, you should have nothing to do with that. And that would have been true for kings. Interestingly enough, we could spend more time on it historically. That was actually not unheard of in, in ancient cultures. Uh, that they would just say, hey, you know, kings can't. <laughs> there, 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 there's no space for this. And she just reasons why. She says, you know, for you, uh, at that moment, if, if, if you're getting drunk or drinking, you're going to forget the law. You're going to forget those things where they're there. You know, he says, you know, unless you, 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 you drink and that causes you to be one that does that. Most of you understand. Maybe some of you don't. That would be amazing. But let's just say it as clear as we can. There's nobody that ever, you know, drank and, and drank a little bit too much and said, it made me smarter. I remembered things that I never remembered before. It's amazing. It was amazing. Like all of a sudden there was clarity of life and there was, you know, I don't know. It's like, no, it's not the way it works. It, 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 it moves into a place that you, you, things that you know, that you believe, that you thought were strong, they move. In that moment, they all become unclear. Not only do you forget what is true, it says you'll pervert the justice of all the afflicted. You'll, you'll begin to do that is wrong. And again, there's nobody. Nobody's ever like, man, I'm so glad I got drunk because I made great decisions when I was drunk. I mean, just absolute clear decisions. That's just not the way it works. 
I mean, the very idea of drunkenness is it's like all of a sudden just things don't make, I mean, things that you would never do besides before that. It's like, well, it doesn't sound so bad now. You know, it's like, you know, I, you know it, it seemed like a dumb idea, you know, to jump, you know, uh, you know, out of a, you know, car window and, you know, jump into somebody. It just, you do dumb, stupid things. And so it's like, what were you thinking? It's like, you, you, you're intoxicated. And, and it does something where it, it robs you of the ability to think clearly. It robs you of the ability to discern clearly. And so she's reasoning, not just because it's bad, but it's like, you're a king. Like, you shouldn't do that. You're a king. You're, you're, you, you know who you are, that you, know, you have a place of being able to represent what's right, and you have to make decisions, and you do this wrongly, it will go badly for you. You do this wrongly, it will bring in destruction. So again, it's this place where we're not just talking about um, what's allowable. I mean, it's kind of a weird space that sometimes people live their Christian life by, by almost wondering, how much can I get allowed? How much am I allowed to get away with? You know, how bad can I be and still be okay? You know, and I just want to tell you, that's just a bad approach to life. So much better to say, God, I, what, do I, what am I going to do with my time? Where am I going to spend my days because of who I am? Not because I'm legalistically bound to everything, but because I'm making choices that would compel me to go further. I'm making choices that would say that. Now, in the midst of this, she reasons. He says, you know, this isn't for you. This isn't for kings. Kings, it's not supposed to be there because, again, lest you drink and you forget the law and you pervert the justice of all the afflicted. Verse 6, give strong drink to him who is perishing. Wine to those who are bitter of heart. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his misery no more. Now, I'm just going to touch this briefly and, and just say it this way. The, the idea of to the one who's perishing, whose idea is bitter, it's not the idea of like, hey, they're having a really bad day, so let them get drunk and make their life worse. No, it really is more almost the understanding there is a space for what God created. I mean, we think about drugs, we think about alcohol, and honestly, there's some, some design that God is allowed to be in a fallen world. And the simple idea is that some of that is so, when, when someone's, you know, you know they're, they're, they're perishing, like they're dying, their body is, is crashing, and, and, and there's nothing but pain for the rest of their days. You know, some of the narcotics, some of the stuff that's a part of our world, they, they have a space in that place. It's just give it to them. That's what it's for. That, that's what it's for. And for most of us, there should be an understanding of that. We look out at the, the, at the abuse of drugs, and we look out at the abuse of alcohol, and some will go, well, God gave it to us. Well, yeah, he didn't, but not for, you know, pleasure, not for, you know, getting drunk or, or, or getting high. I mean, there is a reason. There are spaces where someone's dying. I mean, their body is perishing, and they're being destroyed. That's grace, that's a common grace that works into that and, 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 and without any guilt. But it's not just talking about like, hey, someone's like, you know, it, the, the, the proverb builds on each other. So when it says, you know, give strong drink to him who is perishing, to the one who's dying, to the one who's bitter of heart, it's not like two uh, descriptions there. It's like he's dying, like his body is crashing and his life, his heart is bitter. There's nothing there. Let, you know, give him that, you know, the, the, those things. Let's, you know, so he could forget just the emptiness, the brokenness, and, and there's a space for that, and there's just a way of understanding that. I think probably most of us understand that, but again, it's just worth us saying, hey, there's space for that, but it's not a space for us. So the challenge is, again, here that there would be a call 
to have a personal standard, that there, there would be a personal standard uh, of what this would look like in your life. Now, I pause and think about this, and I know that maybe we're all on the same page, maybe we're not. Um, again, we live in a world, and let's just be again clear, alcohol is not illegal, nor is it necessarily a sin to have a drink, but it's destroying lives. It is destroying lives. I was thinking about this, and just this morning, uh, you know, kind of popped up in my, in my news feed, uh, just a, a survey that was just conducted. We're talking about how that one in five deaths in the United States or in adults from 20 to 49 is from excessive drinking. That, you know, one in five, like 20% of people who are dying between 20 and 49, it is linked to alcohol abuse. It, it is linked to that. And there's no way to look on that and not understand. That is massive destruction. I mean, that's a swath, you know, through young people in our world right now that alcohol is destroying their lives. And I know that you guys know that. I, know, I mean, I think, you, you know, you hear these kind of statistics, and yet sometimes it's so easy to turn it off and think, well, it's not that bad. It is so incredibly destructive. So the challenge is, again, that, that you would have a space. And, and again, I'm not going to tell you what that space is. You know, I'm just going to tell you again, yeah, it's, it's legal to drink, and it's allowable, and maybe that's something in God's grace that he's okay with you, but you ought to spend some time thinking about it. I'm going to tell you where I am, but it's not legalistic. Uh, for me personally, I don't ever drink. I, I, I never, ever, ever, you know, drank uh, anything. I don't drink alcohol. I don't drink wine. I haven't drank, and I can't even remember how long. It's 30, 40 years, I don't know, it's probably not, I don't know, 30, I'm probably in that whole space somewhere like that, but it, I don't do it, but it's not legalistic for me. It's not a place that, that's like, well, you know, somebody could reason, well, Jim, there's places in the Bible. It's like, well, there is, but here's what, I, I'm a king, I'm a king's kid, and I, I have influence, and my influence would destroy somebody's life, and it makes me choose to live by a higher standard. It makes me choose to say, hey, here's my standard, here's where I'm living, and it's not this, you know, kind of legalistic that everybody should do that, and if you hear me in that way tonight, that's not what I'm saying, but for me, it's a passion because of, I'm a king's kid. I have influence. I don't know what that standard would be for you. Maybe for you, it would be choices where you would say, hey, you know what? I never go into a bar, or, you know, I, I never have more than one drink, or I, I never drank, you know, around, you know, that kind of atmosphere that's rambunctious or something. Like I have a glass of wine. I, I know many people and people in our church that I have no problem with. If that's you this evening, I have no problem with. I like I have a glass of wine every now and with dinner. It's legal. It's not sinful. But again, there is a place where you set that standard. And I just want to say in the most gentle way, somewhere that standard is meant to be higher than how much can I get away with. You know, how bad can I be and still go to heaven? There ought to be a standard where I could look and think, 20% of young people, their lives are being destroyed by alcohol. What, what, what should that look like for me? How do I live in this culture in a way where I get to represent that? And, and there's a beautiful place where you could step towards this, not in a legalistic way, not in a place of saying, well, you know, I guess I can't. But it's like, no, I, I'm a king's kid. You know, and I want to represent Jesus well. And so Lemuel's mom is telling them that she's saying, hey, this is not for you. You, I mean, others can, you can't. You need to recognize who you are. Don't give your life to this. So we have this warning of immorality. We have this warning of drunkenness. And then she has one more charge for her son. There in verse 8, she says, Open your mouth for the speechless and the cause of all who are appointed to die. Open your mouth, judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and the needy. 
Defend the defenseless, she says. Take the power that you have. Take what is yours and use it for good. Be that one who defends those who can't defend themselves. Open your mouth. Do that which is actively stepping into this. It's worth, again, just making sure you catch that. It's not enough just to say, well, I'm not doing anything to hurt those. She says, use your power. Use what you have. Use the influence that you have for good. Open your mouth. Speak. Speak. Speak for those who cannot speak for themselves would have the idea. Speak for those who who have no authority, who have no space to be able to do that. She just says, hey, if you're a king, if you've been given power, privilege, position, use it for good. Use it for good. You know, I, I can't help but just pause and say, you know, for me and maybe as some of you, when I think about this, I immediately think about the things that we're wrestling through as a nation. And, and I will sometimes take this verse and just put it, you know, you know, next to a womb and just say, hey, open your mouth for the speechless and the cause of all who are appointed to die. When I think about the horrors of abortion, I think about the, the ugly things that are across our, our land right now, I just want to say, I think that would speak of us. I, don't, I think it's, it's not enough for us to say, I don't abort, you know, I'm not personally, you know, going to do that, but, you know, everybody, it's like, open your mouth. You know, there are, there are, there are, I mean, without any hesitation, without spending more time on it, believing that most of us understand this, and if you don't, I'm willing to sit down and talk to you. Abortion is murder. I mean, it, there's lots of things that lead into it, but that's a baby, that's a child, and, and, and it's destruction, and they are being appointed to die, and they cannot defend themselves. And it's not enough to say, as many people in our nation say, well, you know, I don't, but they have a right. Defend them. Speak for them. Say, I, I have to speak up. I have to say, because they can't. I have to be one that, that does that. I hope you're doing that. You know, I think about the signs that we passed out and some of you have up in your, your, your yards, and I'll just take a moment and say, I hope this is close to where you are. We think about it. In, in just this next week, if you haven't already voted early, you're going to have the opportunity for many of you guys to vote in our elections for our state. And i just going to tell you, it's always been a key issue, uh, this issue of life and, and abortion and, and the weights of that, but certainly it should be more so now. With the downfall of Roe versus Wade, with that being moved into the states, this is the kind of key button issue across all elections, and it should be for you. And I just want to say it as kindly without, uh, you know, being manipulative. Open your mouth for, the def- for the, those who are appointed to life. Be those who say, hey, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to step into those spaces, and I'm going to be one that tries to represent that. So would long that in our lives, and it certainly is a good avenue, but it's not the only one. So again, I don't want to make this all about abortion. It is this idea of any that are in that space, that are in that place that they're not able to do that we could maybe spend this a little bit more and make it even more understandable. Use our power, use the position, our lives, to bless others who have no ability, no ability to bless us. Jesus said it well, right? I mean, many of you guys would know it when, when he speaks about it in Luke chapter 14. He said to, to, to him who had invited him, this man who invited Jesus to dinner, he says, when you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends or your brothers or your relatives nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and, and you be repaid. Now, again, he's not saying don't ever, like you can't invite family. But he's like, that's just not a blessing. Like, don't, don't take great honor that you're only, you know, blessing those who, who are your family. He says, when you give a feast, if you want to be a blessing to other people, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed. 
because they cannot repay you. For they shall, you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. You know, be a blessing to those who have no ability to be a blessing back into your life. Or back in Luke 6, Jesus would say, you know, if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Sinners do that. Sinners are good to people who, who are good to them. That should not be you. So I realize that you know this, and so I'm just not going to get on kind of a, you know, my own little rant or any of that. The sad reality is that when we think about our world, that's just honestly not the way the world works. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for the nation that we live in and some of the good things that are ours, but politics is also incredibly destructive. Um, I just, you know, I know that you guys know this. I'm sure there's some great politicians out there. I know there are probably some moral ones, but for most of them, this is how they live. Why would I do something that doesn't, you know, benefit me? The, almost the only way to get most legislation through in our nation is to play the, the game and, 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 and to give people, because you almost have this understanding, no, people aren't going to do the right thing. They're not going to take the power that's theirs and defend the defenseless unless they get something out of it, unless it's a blessing for them, unless it's going to do good for, for their party or their platform or their reelection. And, and so the, the motivation for those often in power becomes really incredibly selfish. And it's as if King Lebanon's mama says, don't do that. Don't do that. For you. you. You do what's right for those who have no ability to, to bless you. They're not going to give you anything back. You're not going to get anything from it. There's not, not going to be a reward for you in this world. You do the right thing. You do the right thing. You know, you take what is yours and, and you be that blessing into their lives. And certainly it's what Jesus is calling us to. Where he says, you know, it's no big deal. I mean, other people do that. They can bless those who bless them and they can be nice to those who are nice to them. Even sinners do that. We should be able to be those who say, you know what? That's not why I do it. I don't just live my life because I'm going to get something out of it. What's in it for me? Um, I want to do the right thing. I want to take that which is mine and do it well. So we have these three charges from this godly mom, this place of warning of immorality, warning of drunkenness, defending the defenseless, and there's much we could say about it. Had we more time, we'd talk about, you know, there's kind of an interesting pattern uh, that in the midst of it, you could really highlight that, you know, the three natures of what sin is are the backbones of these. You know, it tells us in 1 John, everything that's in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And those are where these things go. Whether, you know, you're driven by pride, whether you're driven by lust or pleasure, those become the things that are destructive. And in a sense to say, those are not the spaces where we want to spend our lives. Jesus, you know, defeats each of those as he faces three temptations and overcomes all of them, inviting us to see the same, but in that sense, just drawing us to this. So here's where I want this to speak afresh into your life. I hope I've said it throughout it, but I'm just going to try to say it again. If you've heard me tonight and it sounds cold, if it sounds legalistic, if it sounds burdensome, then I did it wrong. I did it wrong because it's not that. This is a mom who loves her son and says, I love you so much. I want the best for you. And I'm inviting you to a different life than what other people might live. They might not live that way, but you don't do it. Don't waste your life in immorality. Don't invest into that junk that the world has. Don't let drunkenness ruin your world. It will ruin people's lives. It messes up their judgment. It makes bad decisions in their lives. Don't let that be you. Instead, you be someone who does what's right. 
do the right thing because it's the right thing. Not because you know, anybody's going to reward you for it, or because, but you know, take care of the poor, care for the needy, do the things that have nothing, and it invites us into a different life that would just simply say, I, I, I'm a king's kid. Like, you know, I live in a world of fallen people, but I know who I am. If I'm a follower of Jesus, I've been rescued from my sin. I've been brought into the family of God. I, I've, been, I've, I've been made, you know, a priest and a king under Christ and in his, his standing and in his space. And that invites me to a very different life. It invites me into a life of saying, hey, that's what I want to be. And it moves us into a, a, a place where it, it creates a, a good and a godly decision, a good and a godly way of living your life. And I hope that's where God would draw you. I, I hope you would hear it this evening in a way that God would be saying to you, hey, this is a better way to do this. Like there's, there's, a, there's a life worth being lived and, and living into that space that he would have for you. And these are the issues that you're, you're facing. I, I just know that. I know in this room, in this room, you know, whether you're going to waste your life in immorality, whether you're going to give yourself to drunkenness or, or, or drugs or things that just, you know, dole you out, or you're going to waste your life only living selfishly, these are the things that affect your week. These are the things that actually are affecting your life, and they are fundamental issues that we're just inviting you to say there's a better way to live and to live as a child of the king. So, Close your Bibles, notebooks, whatever it is you have open, and let's just ask him for that, um, that he would speak in a way that I have not, and that he would draw you and I into a life of recognizing who we are in Christ, and we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places, like we are in him, like we are, we've been brought into a royal privileged position, and that should change the way we live, it should change the way we live. God, I thank you for this this evening, I thank you for your word Lord, these words written, and I find myself wondering, were they written to Solomon? If they were, he, he certainly messed up. I know they're written to us, though. God, I pray against the destruction in these things. I pray that you would speak into our lives. I pray for rescue. Uh, Lord, I pray that you is that one who certainly has that compassion that is deeper than a mother's compassion, that is more firm and loving than a, than, than a father's word speaking. You are that one who is that everything to us, and I pray that you draw us to lives, lives that are lived worthy of you, that we'd walk worthy uh, of what it is to be your child. Lord, that that would compel us to, to good choices, uh, living the life that you would have us to live for the sake of you, for the sake of your honor and your glory. God, wherever you've spoken this evening, and for some it's very specific, some are going to have to chew on some of these things. Let us just be brought to life, into the life that you would have for us. God, I pray for help in that. I pray for strength in that. I pray for rescue. Lord, right now I come and, and recognize that most, if not all of us in this room right now, we're followers of you. And yet I pray for forgiveness. I pray for washing. Some read these things and they're like, I wish I would have learned that earlier in my life. I made some of those mistakes. God, thank you for forgiveness. Thank you that you are the God who casts our sins away as far as the east is from the west. Thank you that it is that space that we, we are, are forgiven. 
God, help us now to leave the past behind and press forward into the future that we would say, this is who I am now and I want to live like it. Lord, move us forward into the life you have for us in power and strength and for your honor and for your glory. We ask it tonight in Jesus' name.